like off like was going to pay was started doing the motions to pay the bill and then got into an argument with my mod about who gets to pay the bill <laughs> and they were just like going back and forth and i'm just sitting there the waitress is just like i love it when they fight <laughs> and i was just sitting there like i guess i'm not paying for my food <laughs> like, yeah that okay. that's it you know it's like well I'm not going to make this a three-way argument. I'm just going to sit here polite. Like, if you guys want to fight, be my guest. I was, like, counting my, like, what my remaining budget to see what I could afford. But if you guys are going to fight over this, go nuts. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no, stop. Oh. <laughs> like that, um, Willy, Willy Wonka. No, stop. Don't go. Oh, no. How dare you? Um, but I, no one's telling me to stop, uh, hosting this podcast apparently so uh, welcome to uh, another episode of the halcyon frequency podcast uh this one uh is our 13th episode oh that can't be good and uh it's from the 10th of april 2022 i'm blind and i'm hosting and i'm joined by uh the lovely voice of arch how are you today i'm doing quite well i got a nice sleep in how are you doing i'm all right losing my voice i streamed for 16 hours last night bellinair you alive how you doing I'm not sure about that, but uh, I'm here. Here, functioning. Mostly, yes. I've been having actually kind of tummy problems uh, for a while. It's been annoying. Oh, it's no. like a, it's like I don't know, like a heartburn issue. Oh, I guess, but I'm not really sure what it is. Uh, and it's just, it's not, it's like not being like sick, sick, but it's like just there to be annoying. I I feel like absolute crap. I don't know what I did last night, but I while I was eating last night, because I, I made dinner really late at night, because I, I, I didn't finish stream until like about one o'clock in the morning my time, which is pretty late for me. And I kind of whipped up some a, a really quick pot of pasta, chopped up some mushrooms and some broccoli and some asparagus and chucked it in a pan, fried it up and ate dinner and then went to bed. But while I was eating dinner, I swallowed something that was in there. and I don't know what was in it. And it like scratched my throat all the way down. So I have what feels like a scar in the back from the back of my throat at the back of my mouth all the way down like into my stomach and i can feel it and it hurts and i'm just sitting here like going like last night i was like do i like call an ambulance like what did i just do no idea what yeah I that ate. sounds pretty rough um, i mean it's probably nothing serious that goes away on its own after a while but oh definitely like i i, I mean i'm i'm fine it's like i kept checking if i was like gonna cough up blood or something you, you're not yeah, supposed but it's like having like a long cough or uh, some kind of a or a throat issue, and then your throat gets rougher for a while. Yeah. That's kind of similar, I imagine. You're not supposed to swallow the utensils. <laughs> I mean, unless you're a sword swallower, but that's a different story. Even yeah. then... It's actually funny you said uh, that you, you said uh, that uh, you streamed uh, late, uh, and it's one in the night for you, because Arch and me were talking about, uh, actually you, during Arch's stream, uh, that uh, <laughs> you give uh, like a massive night owl vibes, uh, but you are like totally like a day person. Mm-hmm. No, I'm a morning person. Like I, I'm a, well, he, here's the thing. I, I don't, I don't consider myself to be like a, an any time of the day person. Like I just, I, I train myself to wake up at a time and I wake up at that time. I never feel good when I get up. There's never a point where like, I'm happy to get out of bed at any particular time. But if like, I'm on the schedule of getting up at 6am, I can do that. No problem. If I'm on the schedule of getting up at three o'clock in the afternoon to work all night, I can do that too. I don't know. Yeah, it's just uh, funny how this like, time zones and everything work. Like, currently, us three are in a very different time zone as all of us. Uh. Yeah, it's like 3.30 p.m. here. It's like 1 a.m. for you. By 1 yeah. 
time is it where Arch is at? I guess you have to go. It's 10, 25. Yep. Huh. Yeah. No, it's yeah. pretty spread out. <laughs> really <laughs> early. Silly early time for me. 10.30 is early? I went to bed at like 5. Fair. Fair. Like, I feel bad. I, I feel like I've made I, you get out of bed early to do a thing. This is the latest we've gotten up to do them. <laughs> this is that is true. Yeah, I I, I, don't I um I work for a company in Singapore. Like, well, that's where the home base is. So for me, I'm basically offset five hours to my living zone. Uh, so yeah, I normally get to sleep around between three and five because I'm working until about ten. Right. Or you know. Right towards the end of my stream last night, uh, an audience member who I haven't seen in a really long time popped in and was like, oh, hey, what's up? And I was like, oh, I haven't seen you in ages. He goes, yeah, I'm on a weird work schedule. He's like, I live in Eastern US, but uh, I work in UK time. <laughs> yeah, so no, like... it happens. I I actually missed out on an amazing job opportunity because they didn't want to do that. I was really? so annoyed. Yeah, it was basically I was like, look, Oh, they, they sent a rejection saying, you know, like it was all great and all, but you are outside of the hours and we'd rather find someone in this. And I replied back like this, this was sent at 3am my time. I replied back instantly saying, actually, you know, um, this is sort of my natural time at the moment. And yeah, I don't think they expected me to reply so quickly. You know, it was (laughs) very definite proof that. No, I am normally up around this time. So we had a more of a discussion there about it because they're like, oh, well, he maybe is. But in the end, they decided that they did not, um, they didn't want to be responsible if like, basically I tried to normalize my schedule or something, you know, Mm, didn't want me feeling forced, which I strongly disagree because I'm a night owl and waking up in the morning is a nightmare for me, but you get that. Yeah, it's kind of weird because it's not any different from like any night job. Huh? Like you would uh, anyways work, work those hours if you were working in your own country, if you have a night shift. Huh? Yeah, no. Yeah. Night, and night shifts are something that I did for years and it's there's a reason they pay you more to do them. But also if it's your natural rhythm, then it's just preferred generally. Well, I yeah, did... if I was working a normal job, I would uh, totally want to work those hours as well. Huh? Like. Uh, I live in uh, Eastern uh, Europe, but I live in basically like Western coast or US uh, schedule. Yeah. <laughs> I did um, afternoon shifts, which I have to say were my absolute favorite. We started work at 4 p.m. and we worked through till midnight. So, you know, you got a very good start to the day, but you'd still be up around midday. You know, you'd be around and it always just felt absolutely great for me. And so nine to fives kind of always leave me feeling like, oh, this is so draining. <laughs> I I think the, the issue that I have with like a traditional hours and jobs is a strict start time. It's if it's an even remotely creative industry. Yeah. I, it, it like, it makes, it makes perfect sense if you're working retail or, uh, a place that's open a set number of hours or a- any kind of sales position. Like it makes sense that you'd work at a strict hours, but any kind of creativity based industry or uh, non 
customer relations job. It just perplex. I, 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 it makes no sense to me as to why we can't move beyond the strict hourly start time. I know, right? Like, I my inspiration strikes for creativity at a specific time between eleven at night and one a.m. That is not going to work in any nine to five job. <laughs> no, but no, that that'll be horrible for a nine to five yeah. job. I think it's also just kind of like um, my ridiculous amounts of privilege talking <laughs> that I can just be like, man, jobs, starting us at a specific hour. <sighs> so old fashioned. <laughs> yeah, I guess it's the same for all of us. Huh? I, I think that there's definitely, you know, yeah. Um, it depends the industry you're in and what's available to your area because there's always going to be work that, is going to require nine to five and you know for some people that's what it is and you never want to be like oh god you're doing that i couldn't do that like i hate people that um that act like that like when you tell them you do something and they're like oh i could never do that so yeah um <laughs> how do you know have you ever tried it was <laughs> always my response I am not surprised that that's your response. I mean, that's a typical blind response to sort of, you know, it almost, like, when you said that then, I was almost, like, on my own defensive, being like, well, <laughs> no, wait, no, this is not about me. Exactly. Well, I mean. <laughs> Depends I, that what we're trying. Been, like, that going into your mouth, coming out at, to the person who said it to you, but, yeah. <laughs> typical blind response, always on the aggro. Yeah, for me, it's always been super hard to fit into like a morning person schedule. The whole world ro- rotates around those people, and it's been school, work, all of those uh, have always been like death to me in the morning. So, because I actually have a, a regular sleep wake rhythm, which is actually like a proper sleep disorder. So my day rhythm is actually longer than twenty four, like normally. Mm. It's usually like twenty six, seventy seven, and it kind of wiggles around back and forth as well. So it's really hard to fit into like any schedule. I, the, the, there was many things I loved about night shift when I worked nights. I, I loved how peaceful it got at night, but the things that I hate about night shift, I think outweigh the things that I like about it. Like going to the bank is <laughs> almost impossible if you work full-time night shift around here. Cause they all close at four and open at eight. It's like, well, so if you're off at six, you have to wait two hours and then go to the bank or you have to wake up really early at like three o'clock to like run to the bank. And that was never Yeah, that's easy. pretty much my life currently as well. Like I always need to make a like a special day to go to like bank or any of the like government places or anything because uh, they're I'm open s- only like a few hours uh, at a specific time. So I'm telling and you And I normally wake up when they close, so so four till midnight shift. Best shift out there. <laughs> I, 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 that's actually a shift I don't like, um, the afternoon shift. I, I think out of all the shifts that I, I've worked, I think like the, the four till midnight is my least favorite. And I have a very specific reason for this. And this is like going into work, not like a work from home situation, but work from home, like that would be totally fine. But in a going into work situation, most public transit is done by midnight. So it's real hard for me to get home in almost, a- unless I'm like walking distance, <laughs> or reasonable walking distance. Um, but as a True. public transit person, uh, that shift sucks. 
Yeah, no, you just did just remind me that uh, I actually worked with a friend who drove me home every night. So, mm. um, yeah, no, suddenly I realized that. <laughs> like, the, the, the night shift that I worked for years when I worked in fast food was 10 p.m. till 6 a.m., which then later got changed to uh, 11 p.m. till 5 a.m. when I started cutting my shifts back. And uh, 11 p.m. till 5 a.m. was fine, except for Sundays, because on Sundays, the first bus was at 7 so it's like, I can walk the hour and a half walk home, or I can wait for the bus, which was fine when it wasn't raining and not winter, <laughs> but because we have two seasons here, which is warm and then rain, um, it <laughs> was not optimal most of the year. Yeah, no, I, I remember how bad, like, our bus service was named after our town, and yet a bus came every two hours. If Wait. you missed, <laughs> if if you missed the um, seven fifty seven, you then had to get the uh, uh, nine fifty seven, then the eleven fifty seven, um, and yeah, it's just every two hours we got a bus. And after I think the last bus was seven thirty. I can one-up you by a little bit, but that's because I grew up in the middle of nowhere. Uh, the area of town that I grew up in, we had a community bus that would go by at 7.30 in the morning, 1.30 in the afternoon, and 8.30 at night. And um, I can one-up that as well, since I lived in the middle of nowhere. I mean, I still live in the middle of nowhere, but uh, <laughs> uh, my, my hometown didn't have buses as well, at all. Like, yeah, yeah. You, to you guys have buses? Cycle or something. Yeah, yeah. What is buses? <laughs> It was it was the way I got to my uh, uh, my first and second jobs in town. Um, was it was like a okay? I have to, I, they were both very part time, so it was like a I'd look at my shift start. It was like all right, my shift starts at four. All right, so I have to catch the one thirty bus. So I was like okay, my shift starts at ten. Okay, I got to get on the seven thirty bus. And it was, if you were to drive into town, it was like a, a ten minute drive. The bus would take an hour and a half from where I lived because it would take every single back street to the point where like I started riding my bike into town along the very precarious highway because it was faster. <laughs> Take that. Mm, it really makes you appreciate like good uh, public transport. Uh, like when I'm, when I'm traveling somewhere and they have like a million buses in the nighttime, even or anything. Yeah. It's like, this is amazing. Why can't we have this as well? I mean, I, I was telling my, uh, my sister-in-law or my, my sister-in-law to be, it's like, if you're ever downtown and you have a crappy night, cause she lives in kind of an awkward place to get to via bus. It's like, if you're ever downtown and you're having a crappy night, just get on the uh, specific night bus and it will drive right past my apartment you can crash on my sofa. It's just like, it, it's there, there, there are several buses that just like go right past my house that run every 30 minutes all day all night yeah same one with my like family's uh, new place uh, in helsinki it's like yeah i'd say every 10 five minutes there's a bus uh, just hop hop to the stop and you can go anywhere you want uh, at any time it's like yeah this would be nice at home as well there's there's like one um there, there's like two hours of the night on on i think it's sundays and mondays where that bus only runs once an hour but the rest of the time it's yeah it's it's, it's every 30 minutes 24-7. But I think that, uh, that, that that was a solid little bit of a starter conversation for a podcast, TM. Um, I, I think we're going to go to a real quick break. And then when we come back, 
We're going to talk about the games that we've been playing this week, and we're also going to talk about Arch's favorite clicker. So uh, we will be back in a few seconds. Hang tight. Hi there, podcast listeners. Wojess here. If you missed me on today's episode, never fear. Stop by on Twitch instead. You can find me at twitch.tv slash woe underscore Jess, Monday through Thursday at 10 a.m. Mountain Time. Please enjoy the rest of this episode, and thank you for listening. All right, everybody, welcome back to this year episode of the Halcyon Frequency Podcast for April 10th, 2022. I'm blind, and I'm joined by Bellinaire and Arch Plays Stuff. We're here to talk about the games that we've been playing this week, and uh, you know what, since, since you've talked about it a lot, Bellinaire, can you uh, talk to me a little bit about Backpack Hero? Sure, sure. So, Backpack Hero is a... It's a roguelike inventory management game, basically. It's on itch.io. Uh, they have a free demo, basically, there. But the demo is basically more uh, a development than a lot of uh, early access games. Like, I would say 90% early access games are not as good as this one, I say. Already in its current state. And they actually launched a, a Kickstarter yesterday for uh, the full game. And uh, I did, like, a three days of it uh, so far, even on the demo. Because it was just that good, and it's a it's a lot of inventory Tetris. You have a bunch of different uh, shapes of uh, items, uh, weapons and armors, and all kinds of uh, gems and things that buff each other. And then um, they have like a this kind of almost like cascading uh, effects on each other. That uh, for example, there's a cleaver item that uh, triggers every cleaver that's adjacent to it, uh, and then there's another cleaver that uh, triggers every cleaver that's uh, diagonally from it, uh, and then there's cleavers that buff cleavers, and Chef had that buff cle- buffs cleavers uh, in a specific row, and uh, armors that uh, uh, give boost to every armor on the left or every armor on the right, uh, and you like stack your inventory and Tetris these different pieces in there, and you get you know, like it's just crazy builds of uh, all kinds of uh, items uh, triggering of each other, and buffing each other and it's just a uh, just fantastic and it's a really cute pixel art music is great like everything about that demo is just so good so uh, when, when you say it's it's just like um uh, like a a run-based inventory management game is hmm, how does it give you items like what what is the actual like gameplay loop of this thing so if you played like a say uh slate spire or a similar games uh this is kind of like that without any of the card systems so yeah people who don't like cards uh, or card um, type of games uh, this is definitely uh, for them more as well so basically you have a map uh, of each uh, like a dungeon level and you select where you go and you can see uh, already like a here's an enemy and here's a shop and here's a treasure and so on and you go through that uh, and then there's a uh, basically a, a staircase going down and then you go through three levels and then Third level is a, as a boss, uh, and there's basically nine levels in the demo, so you fight three bosses uh, during that. And um, uh, it's basically a turn-based combat uh, in, in a fighter. Uh, you have, a, uh, by default, you have three energy, and different weapons and different things uh, cost energy to use, but there's also um, these mana orbs you can get, so spell items use mana instead of uh, energy that you can also trigger. So you have like two, two, uh, two different kinds of resources to use. And then there's other items also that trigger from like money and uh, there's a fish uh, sword that triggers from fish or gets buffed by fish and so on. And uh, 
you have basically uh, usually uh, one to three enemies. I think four is maximum because you, uh, they can summon some more. And then uh, same way as in the latest part of similar games, you can see what the enemy is going to do. Like this enemy is going to defend itself uh, for a certain amount or attack for a certain amount. And you can then uh, uh, put some defense on yourself or try to kill the enemy and uh, that way. Just kill them. And then once you kill the enemies, you get uh, some loot. Uh, and of course, uh, from the treasure rooms as well. And uh, you usually can pick like a certain amount. It's usually three from a normal fight. And then a bosses drop a relic, which like this really high. Uh, powerful enemy, uh, like uh, not enemy, uh, item uh, that you can choose one of them. Because like it, it, it's funny that you say that like some people don't like cards, right? Because I think that the number of people that dislike cards are probably are vastly um, outnumbered by people who don't like inventory management. Um, like I I don't like cards. I like inventory management, so I'm I'm weird, I guess. But it, it's it's funny to see them trying to make a uh, a run based game out of a mechanic that is widely regarded as hated. <laughs> I, I I don't know. <laughs> I, I, I think it's a, it's an interesting challenge. Um, I have to admit that I am incredibly bad at inventory management games. But I still love them. Yeah, I think the the point is, or why this is better for an inventory management is that uh, because it, it's kind of the point of the game and not just a like part of the game. Like uh, it's it's the focus, uh, and the there's also because you get these like really fun builds uh, going from doing the inventory management. It's not just a I'm just trying to fit loot into my inventory. Yeah, because it's 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 more of like an effects puzzle than a um just i need to put this sword in here somewhere yeah basically it's a puzzle is a very good uh, like descriptor for it for sure and it's kind of interesting because there is a, a couple other games that have done a similar one uh, one that really comes to mind for me is that um, Mega Man battle network one of them or a couple of them i'm not exactly sure which um had a similar like a uh, power-up system they had like this creed uh, and you had like Tetris pieces, uh, and this gave like uh, X amount of health more, this gave you more damage on a weapon, and so on. And then you kind of fit these Tetris blocks into that uh, specific area, which you then were able to also increase the size of, uh, same as in also in Pac-Man Kira, you're going to uh, increase the size of your backpack. And it's basically a very similar system, but just taken into like a roguelike and even more complex. Uh, and I always wanted to see uh, uh, someone actually make that into a really fun game, because I actually like that Tetris piece uh, power-up system in that game, and I was kind of trying to do that in a in a different game myself as well that was programming uh, but failed so it's nice to see that someone actually made a, a really amazing game out of that system that's interesting i i, I do need to try this i, I think I, I told you before that I, I wanted to try it for the youtube channel and uh it, it's still on my to-do list so um I'm, I'm gonna get to that hopefully this weekend yeah i would highly, highly recommend it since it's a i mean it's absolutely free the demo version on the itch.io which i have spent like 40 hours playing already and then definitely worth checking the kickstarter as well which seems to be doing really well they already had over uh, half the money collected uh, uh, today which probably is even higher now i'm gonna take a turn here now and talk about a memoir blue um so a memoir blue is the most recent published title uh, or pu title published by annapurna interactive um 
who is a publisher that I'm fond of, but now I'm have mixed feelings on based on some reporting about some studios that were under their wing. Um, that was published not too long ago by people make games. If you want, just go to the YouTube channel, people make games and watch their most recent video. Um, it, it's kind of stressing, but, um, hopefully doesn't speak for all of the studios under their wing. Um, but, uh, it's a short story. So I kind of have to, I can talk about what it, like the theme of it essentially, um, but I, I, I can't really say anything else about it because it is, um, almost like an interactive film more than a game. Um, it, the, the gameplay is you get like these scenes, these di almost dioramas and you interact with the items on the dioramas in order by just like moving the mouse or, um, pan clicking, tapping between them on a controller. Um, you interact with them by selecting them and then a little animation plays and you get a little bit of um, animated story and then you interact with the next item. Um, there's some extremely light puzzles and the game is about an hour to an hour and 20 minutes long. It's a very quick playthrough. Um, it's on Steam for about $8 or on Game Pass. Uh, easy recommendation if you have Game Pass, just download and play it. Um, but the, the theme of the game essentially is, um, you, you play as a silent protagonist girl and, uh, she was a very heavily awarded, uh, swimmer. Um, it's not clear whether or not it was like an Olympic swimmer or just like very successful swimmer. Uh, but, uh, like her apartment is covered in trophies and medals and, um, from the get go in the first like 10 seconds of the game, it's very clear that this is like a mixed emotions thing in her life where she was always just awarded with piles of accolades from her swimming. Um, but always was just like sad about it. Um, and in the first about 10 to 15 seconds of the game, you find out pretty quickly it's because of disconnects between her and her successes and the relationship she had with her family and has with her family. Um, and it's a story about her going through memories from childhood and her life um, in this gorgeous kind of blend of 3D um, animation and two, like hand animated um, drawings uh, in the world. Um, and it, it, so it's this beautiful combination of like these kind of two different styles of her as an adult in 3D and her as a child in um, hand-drawn animation um, about this relationship between sports, her and her family. Um, just really touching and a lovely hour-long experience, which I can easily recommend if you have Game Pass or $8 and you want to throw it at a short movie, basically. It sounds to me like um, Gone Home. Less of a game than Gone Home. <laughs> wow, okay, that's... Yes. All right, all right. I I would compare it very... Because he it, it's, it's not even like a first person. Like, you don't control a character at any point. Like, it is... You are given a environment, and you can move your mouse around in the environment, and things will, like, stutter a little bit. You click it, and then a thing happens, and you move on. And that that's okay. literally it. Um, it's practically a hidden object game, like maybe less than that because you're not told to find specific things. Um, it's okay. uh, it's a very, very, very light game. Um, there's no dialogue. It's all like mimicked with beautiful music in the background. Like it's, it's lovely. 
I, I, it's kind of funny when I, cause I streamed this, when I started it, uh, somebody in chat was like, oh no, is this going to be one of those, uh, I'm going to cry at the end indie games? <laughs> like maybe it's like, it definitely be, sounds like one of those. I'll <laughs> be back in an hour. <laughs> okay. So like, not for everybody, uh, but uh, just, just a very pleasant hour long experience. That sounds great. And it's on Game Pass, is it? Yeah, it's on Game Pass. It's like the perfect place. It's pretty cool to see those. So, I mean, the the thing that I would compare it to the most, if I had to compare it to something, um, is is Florence, actually, which was um, one of the studios that was uh, called out in the... um, which this is older reporting. This stuff's been in the public for a while. That, that the studio that made Florence, which is called Mountains, closed down rather unceremoniously, um, roughly a year after Florence released, um, due to management uh, and pro- problems with the studio's founder. Um, the studio still exists, but has no employees. Basically, um, so I, I, it's. So I have mixed feelings about that game, even though I also adore that game. Similar length, similar amounts of gameplay, just like very light puzzles and things that you interact with. Um, but yeah, I, I don't know. It's it, it's it's one of those things that's like, I'm going to get way into this because I, I, I love this kind of art game thing. Um, but it's not for everybody, but I recommend it. It sounds like, like something someone has to experience, you know? Um, they're, they're very very uh poignant games out there that i would say look it's not your genre it's not something that's going to open up this whole new thing you just need to experience this to understand what games can be about yeah it's it's less of a traditional game and more of a interactive story exactly so basically it's like, like the Final video game Fantasy equ- without the leveling up yeah, it, it, it's the video game equivalent of like, you know, those books that you fold them out and then like the cardboard stands up and you get a little diorama. Oh, yes, yes, yes. It's the video, video game equivalent of that. And, you know, those are super entertaining once or twice and they're really nice art pieces, but it's not going to be, they're never going to sell as well as like a, a Game of Thrones novel, right? It's neat. It, yeah. it was it was it was enjoyable, and it's it's perfect for a thing to be on Game Pass. And uh, go try it, especially if you have Game Pass. Just just play through it. It's great. Um, Bellinair, do you want to talk to me about Weird West? Yeah, sure. Uh, so I I got the access to Weird West early, and I did a two first chapters. Then we took a little break. We took a to did the third chapter and then we did a little break again because of the embargoes and then we did the last uh, two, two chapters and uh, yeah Weird West has been pretty awesome although it did get pretty repetitive uh, with the fights and everything towards the end of the game but it's also one of those games that, that uh, you just want to play through the story because the story is super interesting and uh, yeah it's a basically western game uh, isometric view uh, real time combat which was uh, surprising because I, I was really thinking it would be like a uh, turn-based combat, but then I saw it, it was like, oh, real-time? And it's real-time works actually really well on it. Uh, but yeah, it's, it's like Wild West combined with um, a little bit of like this occult and weird things going on, uh, werewolves uh, and um, magic and so on. And uh, yeah, it was, it was a fantasy experience to play through. And I, I would actually love to see uh, more people play through it, uh, because uh, apparently you can do things very differently. Like, uh, Kiri's been playing it as well, and I've been actually watching Kiri in the mornings playing it, and we've been discussing uh, some on her channel, uh, 
like different things we did them. Uh, because you can do these pretty big choices uh, uh, in certain parts of the game, which then do actually affect the uh, later parts of the game. Because uh, the g game is split in five chapters, and each chapter is different character. Uh, but it's like time, uh, time-wise, it's just like progressing all the time, and you can actually have a uh, in your party the previous characters as well. Uh, and they they can die, so they don't necessarily show up uh, again uh, in the later parts. Uh, but there's a, especially at the end of each chapter, there's a usually a pretty big choice. And seeing how much it changes doing that choice or not doing that choice or doing it very differently. And how, seeing how it affects the game uh, uh, world is actually really cool. And uh, me and Kiri have been kind of being like this nice person throughout the playthrough. But you can ab absolutely be like a worst human being on the planet and just go raiding and shooting at all the villages and towns and... Uh, robbing panks and so on, uh, and I would love to see how much that also changes the gameplay and and the whole world uh, towards the end. Uh. And all of these choices you do do have a big meaning, which I don't want to spoil. But uh, there is there is a, also uh, a kind of thing that uh, judges you, depending what you've been doing throughout the game. This is a you know a game that's I think come up on this podcast a lot. And um, so I'm going to ask you the same thing that I asked Kiri about this game, um, which is, can you please give me a comprehensive review of the kick button? Because I've played a number of arcane games <laughs> and they're famous for their kick button. And uh, watching people play um, this, I, I, I think that it would make me, it's one of those that the, like I've been cagey about playing it because I, I feel like I'm, I'll be like FG and it'll just make me want to projectile vomit um, just because of the way the camera moves. But um it's made me want to go back and play uh, um, Might and Magic Dark Messiah, the legendarily best kick button ever. And because this is the the same studio founder and same like kind of minds behind the grand kick button, um, can, can you um, give us a comprehensive review of Weird West's kick button? So I can I can confirm that kick button does exist. Uh, so you do you can kick uh, people at enemies, and you can also. Uh, do all kinds of fun stuff with, stuff with the environment with that because the environment is very interactive. Uh, you can get the enemies wet, you can get the enemies on fire, you can pour some uh, poison on them, and all kinds of things, uh, explosions. Uh, so and also there is fall damage, so you could technically kick uh, people uh, off a building or something. Uh, apparently, there is also I, I learned this uh, after finishing the whole game that you can apparently also uh, knock enemies unconscious and and horses <laughs> also. Uh, and then you can drag them around and do all kinds of fun st things with them. Like uh, I saw some people calling uh, other people sick puppies on Twitter uh, when they were describing uh, like uh, dragging people uh, into the river uh, and drowning the bodies or uh, just piling them up and throwing some molotovs in there and all kinds of weird things. Uh. In the I cactus mean, it is juice. A... <laughs> yes, cactus juice. That's the other thing. It, it, it is a like RPG, but it's also an immersive sim, right? Like that that that's kind of like the design like ideas behind all of the games that Arcane made and now um, Wolf Eye Studios um, of Weird West. So uh, it's it's lovely to see um, immersive sims kind of popping up again, I, I, I feel like, because they're, they're the only genre kind of outside of roguelikes, I think, that really try and simulate everything in a lot of cases. Um, a lot of traditional roguelikes are very much focused on the, like, you can throw it, you can lick it, you can drop it you can uh you can pour it on something you can 
break it. You can uh, use this on like everything can be used on everything, right? And er hopefully it will happen. Yeah, it's gonna be interesting. And and it's it's really cool to to, to see them attempting like because Wolf Eyes Studios is a pretty small studio attempting a game like that, even like on a in a top down kind of like. I, I it's I, I it sounds bad to say on a smaller scale, but like it's definitely on a smaller scale than something like um why am I Deathloop. I wanted to say Loop Hero. Deathloop, um, which is Arcane's most recent game, which is still attempting to be an immersive sim, but it feels like every immersive sim that Arcane makes becomes I'm less of an immersive immersive sim. Like Prey was very much that uh, Dishonored kind of became less of that as it went on, and uh, uh, Deathloop is was very little of that to a point. Um, so it's it's really nice to see them taking that torch and continuing to make that kind of game design nightmare. Yeah, it's definitely really great to see that. Uh, sadly, there is also some kind of bad things uh, that they didn't really hit. Uh, like a uh, melee combat is. I would say absolutely garbage in the game. <laughs> like it's it's not worth doing. It's really fiddly. Even with the like the matrix slowdown time slowdown thing, yeah, it's it's really hard to do the combat uh, in melee properly. Even though it would be really uh, rewarding. There's, there's two characters uh, out of the five uh, that could be very well geared for like melee combat, uh, and I really wanted to try uh, like a different type of build uh, for each character uh, because I wanted to try the different types of combat uh, and. Uh, also, so that the game is not just a, oh, I pick up a rifle and shoot the being people far away and they die, because that seemed to be the best tactic uh, for most of the things, but uh, it would have been fun to do like a, like a melee build and like a different melee build, uh, but it just uh, didn't really work uh, so what as you're, well. So what you're telling me is a it, it's not possible to do, or uh, annoying and tedious to do a nothing but kicking build in this game? It might be quite hard to do. Oh. I mean, there is a the, the second character would be the one for that uh, because there's a lot of like anti bullet abilities and things like that uh, where you don't take damage on from shots, uh, so you could actually go kicking around. But uh, anti uh, it's it's really hard to hit uh, uh, with the kick basically or or melee in general mm. because uh, I don't know. There's a like you have your radial menus and all that, so there's a lot of like uh, consolidation in there. That's uh, kind of annoying, and I think that's partially the reason why the melee is so hard. Uh, Although I did not try, it might be actually easier with a controller if you tried. That's kind of unfortunate. I wonder if that's a perspective issue or. A... It, I, I would say it is partially because the game is like isometric view, uh, and then uh, trying to turn your character and hitting with melee, and the melee is uh, quite slow in most cases. Also, like to actually get the swing and hit a monster or a, or a persona is fairly difficult to do. Uh, Everyone moves really quickly, unless you use the slowdown, I guess, but then you also move very slowly. Uh, so it's really hard to hit anything that moves around and shoots you in the face. Eh? Well, I mean, I'm sure we'll hear more about this game. I think at some point we need to get like you, Kiri, and Jess on a podcast to talk about this because like... Like it's difficult because like, you know, a scheduling segment that we had at the start of this podcast, but it's like... <laughs> It's. I know Jess is loving it, and I know Kiri is loving it, and I'm enjoying watching people play it. So, yeah, yeah it would be interesting to compare notes. Uh. I'm enjoying watching it because it's got that real vibe, the the sort of like 
noir vibe that I really enjoy in a story. Mm. I'm not sure I could stream it, but watching it is a lot of fun. Yeah, I'm I'm kind of with you in that boat. I I played a little bit of it, and I'm I I it's <laughs> it may not be a game that I would like. I would enjoy streaming. I'll put it that way. Um, <laughs> that being said, it yeah, it's definitely worth for the story. But there is also a story difficulty, so if you want to just kind of blaze through the combats and everything and just do the story, you could also do that too. Yeah, that's possible. Although, like, I talk about not, like, no, not being sure if I wanted to stream it or not, that I look at the next game that I have on my list to talk about, and I'm like, well, <laughs> when it comes to, like, hard games to stream, I guess, like, every, everybody just has to pick their battles, I suppose. Um, but uh, Yeah, I mean, it depends on the length of the game as well. This is a very long, like, 30 yeah. hours for, for me. I mean, yeah. it's the exact same thing for me. Look at the game I've been playing. Arch, I, I think it's time for you to remind everybody that you're still on this podcast and talk to us about <laughs> uh, your favorite idle game. Oh, oh, okay. So I think the best way to, to describe my entry into this is several years ago, talking about seven years, I was in a chat with my boss and a couple of colleagues and my boss said, my boyfriend and I are going to play this game and we want to build a castle who would like to play with us. And I was in the middle of Minecraft, middle of a server that I was playing and I'm like, yeah, I'm up for that. Downloaded it, closed down Minecraft, jumped into this game. And I think it was four or five years before I ever opened up Minecraft again. And this game is the uh, predecessor to Minecraft, Worm Online. Um, an indie MMO from way back in 2003, when it was first, uh, conceptualized by, uh, Rolf Janssen and, uh, Notch. So, uh, it has, it has a little bit of, uh, history there, but yeah, that's a, it's a game that I find myself playing all the time, like in between other games. Um, I've often joked that, uh, Worm is the game that you play while playing other games. And so this week I have spent countless hours building a house because nothing in Worm comes quick or easy. <laughs> so do I ask you to describe Worm for the uninitiated or should oh, we just kind of a, leave it all mysterious? <laughs> that's a tough one because describing it is... Yeah, because describing it is, like, really, really difficult to sort of jump on because it's a very early prototype of so many types of games. Like, you can see Worm in the sense of where it's come from and how it's grown and adapted, but it is a sandbox MMO, and it, like, I would, I would say true sandbox. You literally spawn in the world. No quests, no missions, no anything. You can completely terraform the world. You can mine down mountains, raise hills, build cities, destroy them, everything. Nothing in the world is permanent unless, you know, you own the land. And so it is an absolutely wonderful game of freedom, but without direction can be a little bit daunting when you're first starting out. You're like, okay, I'm here. Now what do I do? Um, but yeah, so 
after my, after this, Notch went and made Minecraft, and there's actually quite a lot of similarities in terms of um, just a few little things like uh, like progression things and such that you sort of get the feel of, yeah, this is where where it had come from. But it's um, basically a more 3D looking RuneScape, you know, a, a little bit little bit more focus on the art rather than a stylization. Um, and it involves a lot of clicking and a lot of windows. Uh, I have called it, uh, windows Explorer, the MMO in the past, and it still holds true to this day. <laughs> so if this is windows Explorer, the MMO, then Eve online is still Excel, the MMO. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Okay. Gotcha. And then, uh, muds are the command line. That's it. That's it. Yeah. You know, um, <laughs> Worm Online originally, like, you get the feel that it's very heavily influenced by MUDs. So much of the feedback and so much of the game appeared in the event window. You were just acting in the world around it. Um, and uh, full disclosure, I used to work there. Like, I loved this game so much, I started working for them. Um, I've since moved on, but I still play it. And I think uh, this week alone, I probably would have close to 20 hours of play in it simply just building a house literally a, a house i'm looking to build a uh viking style longhouse and between planning between getting the resources together and uh constructing you know i've been doing that but because it's also an mmo there's people to talk to other things to do and it, it really is just a game that i keep coming back to and I probably will until it closes down. There's a review on, on the Steam version that's a thumbs up review. And the person has five hours in the game and it just says, I am so confused. Yeah, no, that, that sounds like exactly what, what worm, worm can be like. Um, my favorite review of all time is uh, I've been playing Worm for nine years and so far I hate it. I'm going to give it another nine and see how I feel at the end. Yeah, I, I understand that kind of relationship with video <laughs> games. <laughs> it, it is a game that... Um, one funny anecdote that I have when I was working there. We released a limited time server that was six months. You know, we told this is going to be here for six months. After that, it's going to close down. When you're thinking about games, you're like six months. Wow. Okay. People like almost refuse to go to it because what was the point if you've only got six months to do something? You know, people in Worm think long term, you know, <laughs> it's like, what's the point of, of only having six months? I'll hardly be able to get anything done. Well, I mean, it's a dedicated fan base. Very. So, and they've got a, a new big update coming at the end of April and the start of March. So, sorry, start of May. So I'm looking forward to that. They're adding uh, treasure maps, which is always good in an MMO. I'm actually kind of surprised that it's getting still updated. Yeah. Even so many years ago. Well, that, that's, that's kind of the beautiful thing for me. And I really could derail this entire podcast talking about it. Arches but we're talking... It, yeah. We're talking an indie MMORPG that's been around for uh, active development for 19 years. It went into beta in 2006. 
So that makes it 16 years, and then it went gold in 2012. So 10 years there. And it launched on Steam, yeah, a couple of years ago. And it's still thriving. It's still got an active population. And, you know, it's an indie MMO. It's not big, you know. (laughs) We're talking at peak times you would have maybe five, six hundred active users. But, you know, it's just incredible to me. It strikes me as about the same scale as MechWarrior Online, which is also an indie MMO. Sort well, it's an indie multiplayer game, but yeah, but like that. Yeah, game, no, it's peak peak hours for Mech Warrior is like six, seven hundred people, maybe a thousand on a weekend, maybe. Yeah, that's probably bigger than Worm, and that's but like each, a good weekend. <laughs> yeah, each one of those people are really dedicated, and oh, like it's just so beautiful. You can literally jump on a horse, ride around, and see what other people are doing. So many games claim to be sandboxes, claim to have player housing, and they're almost like cookie-cutter instances of things. This game literally has free building where everyone can see, you know, and it's absolutely great. I have seen people build cathedrals in this game, and I'm still living in a little box because I don't have any imagination, and this is the first time I'm in seven odd years that I'm actually trying to build a house that has some sort of style. But um uh it's 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 a game that I thoroughly recommend checking out and just exploring. It's not gonna necessarily be a game that grabs you, but just being able to see what people do in it is just amazing. Is the majority of how the- difficult uh go on, you first. How difficult would you say it's actually to get uh, into it now as a new player, or is it even worth it at this point anymore? Oh, absolutely, it's worth it. There is no, you know, like, it's a crafting sandbox game, you know, so there's not real, like, oh, the content's gone, or it's too difficult. It's, it's, you can progress at your own pace. Getting into it, it depends a lot. Um, Solo play is very, like, there's an overwhelming amount of uh, information that's needed. Literally, the wiki is available in-game via an in-game browser, and it is officially hosted because, quite simply, it's a necessary part of the game. But with that in mind, um, there is just so much there that you can do and learn. And if you if you play with people or you find a group, you really get dragged in quickly. Um, For example, when I started with people, there were four of us and, you know, one was like, oh, I want to be the blacksmith. And the other one's like, I'm going to work with the animals. I'm going to work with the wood. And I'm like, I'm going to get you all the resources. So the first, you know, six months of me playing this game, I literally chopped trees, mined iron and rock and just got people the resources they needed for their own skills. And it really felt like you were working together. And, um, yeah, no, it's, it's as long as you can get into it and get past that steep learning curve, it will grab you and hold you for a long time. Now I, I gotta ask, because this game is free to play. How do they, uh, keep the, the, the cheddar rolling? What's the business model for this? Right. The business model is subscription based. So it's one of those ones free, free to play unlimited play like that. It's not like, oh, you can only play X amount. Skills are capped at 20. Um, 
and then you subscribe and your skills can go above 20. So that is, that is how they, they operate. Subscriptions can be purchased in game with silver that you earn from other players or, you know, with real money. Um, <clears throat> a lot of people pay for in-game work. Um, the economy is very much a, a trade focused one, not barter. And there's a lot of resources and a lot of accessible stuff for new players. Like the high end items are never going to be, you know, a new player can't come in and go, oh, I've made this item that's worth this much. But there's always work that new players can do, you know, whether it's creating bulk items, whether it's, you know, I, I literally hired someone to sow my farm once a week. Um, because I could not be bothered sewing that many tiles. I was busy. I had things to do. So I was like, look, once a week you come along, you plant 3,000 tomatoes, and that's a very big farm. And uh, 3,000 tomatoes, and I'll pay your premium every month. And they're like, yeah, sure. And that's how it was. And so, yeah, um, that is that is the main business model there. Interesting. So were you, wait, were you paying for the person's premium with in-game currency or were you like PayPaling them money? So previously it used to allow RMT. So I was actually PayPaling them the money. Um, nowadays they have banned RMP, RMT as they've moved to Steam. And of course, Steam does not like that. Um, so they, they had to remove it. But yeah, in the past you could basically do services and and offer to pay in PayPal, and it was so much easier for me. Nowadays, I just pay in in-game currency. Huh. Well, uh, if you if if uh, if you want to be Arch's water boy, you can do that virtually. I guess. <laughs> 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 to be honest, I would love to see Arch stream this and take us on a tour. Uh, I I I think about it, but the the problem is is so much of it is like I used to I used to do streams for it like officially and they would literally be riding around talking about the history of places. And it's always funny because, you know, when you, if you want to protect a plot of land, you place a deed and that costs money and upkeep. And then when that runs out, the place decays away. And I've always had people like go, oh, it's so sad when you find a place decaying. And I'm like, no, don't you understand? Someone was there, you know, someone came along, they built their place and now it's, it's going and it's returning. But Someone was there and someone else is going to come along and they're going to be there too. And, um, it's, it's like the oldest server is about 16 years old. We're talking 16 years of people coming along, building villages, building towns, and then moving on. And the game slowly regenerates back to another person coming along. And that's like one of the best things that came about recently. I say recently, I mean in the, like the last five years. Um, the archaeology system literally means that you can find information about past villages that were where you are searching. You know, who founded them, how long they were there for, when they disbanded. And you can find really cool information. And, you know, I've gone back to all of my old villages and found those tokens for that information because it's just like as the game evolves the history of the server becomes part of the game and i love that 
yeah, that kind of stuff is always uh, really amazing. I love that stuff as well. Like, I don't really play EVE online anymore, but I love the, the stories and all the shenanigans that goes on and, and all of that. Uh, so this seems like a similar s- setup uh, for all kinds of uh, amazing player-created history and stories and that happened in the server. Absolutely. Player-created history is a big part of it. It's like really, really, really slow multiplayer Dwarf Fortress. <laughs> Yes, okay, so the the elephant in the room, it's yeah. incredibly grindy. Um, yeah. Everything is on a timer, you know, it's not like, oh yeah, you punch the tree until it's full, you click chop down the tree, you watch the timer, you click chop down the tree, you watch the timer. But, you know, when you can get past that, when you can sort of appreciate the game for the the progression sense, like, I have built many houses in many games, but I have never felt as proud of a silly little cube house in any game other than Worm Online. It's also uh, like um, in a lot of games you maybe play them like 30 hours and if it takes a lot of grinding and effort to get a small cube house and then you're done, uh, it doesn't leave that same kind of mark as a game that's been going on for years and years and years. And you finally get your own a uh, little bit of a corner in that yeah. world. I still remember I was playing with, um, I had a few people because when it launched on Steam, I did some streaming of it. I had a few people from my community join. And I still remember one, like it was his third day. And he's like, I don't know whether to mine through the mountain or fill in the sea to make this path quicker. <laughs> and I'm just like, that is such a worm idea, you know? Do I spend hours filling in the sea or do I spend hours mining through this section just to make this road a bit quicker? And, um, yeah, so. <laughs> that's that's like me and Dwarf Fortress spending seven hours of gameplay time rebuilding an entire layer of blocks so that when the next goblin siege comes by, I can pull one lever and cave half the map in on their heads. <laughs> it takes me about six hours to reset a trap. But when I reset it, and when I pull that lever, it is very satisfying. Three seconds. <laughs> so, but that kind of uh, like road building and path building is also really cool for other players. Like, uh, especially when you know like how much grind and effort goes into making something like that, and then you come by this whatever bypass uh, they're making, or, or a road, or a cathedral, like you said, or anything oh, like that. Uh, it's, it's it's just uh, amazing. It's unbelievable. Like there is one one village near me that has literally built a cathedral. It uses bridges as the roofs to create the really high vaulted ceiling look. It uses bridges with other buildings to create the look of flying buttresses. It's absolutely insane. And you look at it going, how on earth did you envisage that? And it is just, the, the game is honestly amazing, and I will be playing it until it shuts down, and when it shuts down, I'll probably jump onto Worm Unlimited and play it there too, because it just keeps dragging me back. You know, anytime I start spending hours in a game, I'm like, yeah, but I could be dedicating this time to grinding in Worm Online. Now, when, when you say when it shuts down, are you expecting it to shut down soon? No. No, I don't expect it to shut down anytime soon, but, you know, um, I still remember there's there's posts on the forum from 2008 claiming the game is dying. So, um, 
Games yeah, are no, dying no. the second they start, though. That's the thing. It's just like people. The second we start living, we're already dying. Just <laughs> no, no, no. Because yeah, people, yeah. the cells are growing. You're you're growing. I think till about your early twenties is when you stop growing and your cells slowly start dying. So that's when you start dying. You don't start dying as a baby. Yeah, you do. The literal second you are born, your timer is going, and you are already dying. But that's because no. I'm a nihilist. You're a glass half full. I'm a glass half empty kind of guy. <laughs> <laughs> do you Video walk games, around the off. second they come out of beta, they're already dying. Yeah, just, you know, you post I mean, that you- enough time in enough places, you'll be right eventually. <laughs> I mean, New-, New World is a dead game right now. There's 20,000 people playing it. Because there isn't 700,000 people playing it anymore. <laughs> It really is, like, it's so <laughs> frustrating because I have the same view that it's a dead game. It's not. But it's perfectly the, fine and will go for the, years at that yeah, rate. The the phrasing that should be used is, it's dead to me or it holds no value to me anymore. Because I loved New World. I had an absolute joy playing it. And then I hit that point where I realized the gameplay loop and how repetitive it is and as soon as that happened i was like yeah no i'm i'm done and i've not seen anything come out that's really shown me that it's worth getting back into like uh i watched um fg play it yesterday and it was pretty to look at and it's like i still love the sound design of it but just at the end of it all i was like okay It, it didn't inspire me to play the game it wasn't like oh, yes, I can't wait to play that, or I'm going to load it up now, you know, like watching some people play games can do. So, yeah, I I wouldn't say it's a dead game, but it is definitely um, dead to me. Well, that was a wonderful discussion. I really really enjoyed that. Um, I'm going to hijack this podcast once again and talk about Norco. So... Norco is a southern gothic adventure point-and-click choice paralysis role-playing game. Um, I I just want to interrupt you there. Go nuts. You may have just been about to answer that. What is southern gothic? Woof. Okay, so southern gothic... Okay, uh, do I need to talk about To Kill a Mockingbird, or can I just say that out loud? No, you can just say that out loud. I know that. Okay, so To Kill a Mockingbird is probably the most famous example of Southern Gothic. Southern Gothic is... uh, Southern U.S. folklore slash... In broad strokes, Southern Gothic is... Fantasy, cosmic horror, Southern U.S., like uh, another example of Southern Gothic would be, like I'm thinking I'm I'm thinking for video game examples, and I would point at the Crytek shooter, which I'm blanking on the name of at this precise second. Um, Hunt Showdown. Crisis. Oh Hunt, right. Okay. Hunt, Hunt Showdown um, is Southern Gothic. Um, Norco is interesting because it's also very cyberpunk. Uh, in a lot of ways that are maybe not immediately obvious when you just look at the screenshots. Everything is very heavily based in uh, Christianity that's borderline cosmic horror. 
Um, the writing is very, very dense and um, in, in a world that is... Okay, so setting of Norco. Um, it's near future sometime. Near future as in uh, almost nobody has jobs because everything is run by AI terminals and there are security robots that are humanoid that are artificially intelligent. Um, there is brain scanning, uh, copying your brain to a hard drive as a backup to give to your children, things like that. Um, the game talks about, and this is like just in the prologue intro, there is a free demo for this, so that's mostly what I will be talking about in this, um, is the stuff that is covered in the demo, because I really don't want to spoil anything. Uh, you play as a character, and she's named Kay. Uh, she left home after one of the great uh, long storms, as they call them in the game, um, which from what I can tell from flavor text and world building is essentially a, a hurricane that lasts for a very long time due to climate change and the world falling apart. Um, these long storms can completely devastate entire cities um, and have caused uh, mass amounts of destruction to the point where um, the only people that can afford to work through them and keep going are the oil refineries and massive corporations. Um, and this has led to warring factions in southern states uh, and small militias breaking out and uh, attacking pipelines. Uh, the game talks about um, what they call oil pirates that will go around either trying to divert oil pipelines to other places to then sell the oil or just straight up bombing them. Um, so it's that's kind of the intro narrative. Um, your character uh, was in communication with her family after she left home after one of these storms. Um, her brothers w went AWOL shortly after she left and got into some bad stuff. And your character um, ends up getting caught up in some of the fighting in one of these militia groups, uh, ends up road tripping across the states, and then you hear that your mother is dying. Everybody in this world, because, and I, I say everybody, it's a lot of people in this world, at least in this, in Norco, Louisiana, um, which is where the game takes place, uh, are dying of cancer due to extreme amounts of pollution. Um, the fact that the entire town is owned by S.H.I.E.L.D., which is a wing of a massive oil conglomerate, um, which is run by a, a character that you learn a lot about. Um, and the, this oil refinery is destroying the people that are left in this town that can't afford to leave, that are working for the company or are working for the small companies surrounding it. But um, S.H.I.E.L.D. is buying out all the small companies. And after you get this massive lore dump right at the beginning and this beautiful intro sequence with some incredible music by the uh, Southern uh, Louisiana-based um, sludge rock slash black metal band Thou, which soundtrack's fantastic... Um, they very quickly, you, you find, you start to find out that your mom was looking at learning about something. So by the time you get home, your mother's passed away and you're trying to find your brother. Your mom had discovered something and you're trying to find out what that is the baseline pitch for Norco. And in the first three hours of this game, it goes so absolutely off the wall. 
I'm trying really hard not to swear because of how much I enjoy this game. Um, <laughs> absolutely nuts. I, 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 I just, I, all, all I can say is not enough people have played this game. It's not getting enough buzz, and this is probably my game of the year. It's wow! Very already? early to say that, but it's, but it's an early favorite. In fact, I think this might be my game of the last two years, maybe three. It's been a long time since a game's done this to me. Like, I I've seen. The ending that I got, there are multiple endings to this thing. The ending that I got was extremely satisfying. I found another ending very quickly after finding the first one, which was even more interesting and more satisfying, and then went and watched another ending on YouTube, which was interesting from a different perspective. And I still have questions, but the game gives you enough information throughout that you can find a satisfying through line between everything while at the same time just drenching yourself in this slang heavy accent written incredible dialogue and i really 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 like norco well you've talked me into it i'm downloading it currently (laughs) (laughs) i intend to play it as well at some point it's what causes the choice paralysis uh... so the, the the reason I say choice paralysis, um, the first game that I encountered that was that I heard referred to as that um, was Disco Elysium, where they, and I've also seen people refer to the the Witcher games as choice paralysis at times. It's when there's they give you a bunch of hard choices and none of them are good. So, yeah, so choice. Yeah, it, it's although this this game doesn't often do the all of this feels make makes me feel very bad. It's more of a all of this is wrong. That thing that I'm looking at is wrong. I don't know how to answer this cuz everything here is wrong. It's more of that. Less of a oh, that's a bad option, that's a bad option and that's a bad option. It's more of a oh, all of these are confusing and horrible in different ways and I don't like any of this. <laughs> but you know which is the answer for you because of the last few answers that you made and it, it the the dialogue does branch it's not as punishing as something like a disco elysium it's not going to turn around and be like oh so you're a nazi <laughs> or uh, it's not going to quite do that level of accusations there is a mind map where you can which is actually kind of fantastic for people who would want to play this game over a longer period of time because it is quite dense it's about 10 i would say tentatively about 10 to 12 hours long um, you can click on every single piece character in the mind map that pops up over time because it starts off with this one little bubble that's you and then it expands to you, your brother and your mom and then it expands out slowly from there and the pictures start off blurred and then they fill in as you find out more information. You can click on each one of those images and read through each character's backstory and every single major event in a very abbreviated fashion in a way that feels like you're the person thinking about it, which is once again, just me praising this thing's writing back to back to back. Like, I I streamed this in its entirety in two days, and the second stream was why I was up until one o'clock in the morning trying to finish it. Um, but I had somebody pop into my chat and basically say, like, oh my god, this writing is incredible. And they had no context for anything that was going on, and it was a random conversation with a non-important NPC. Wow. So yeah, That sounds a lot uh, similar to, like, a 
all the choices and everything you have to make in uh, Death Threat become human as well. Like I played that uh, uh, earlier this year uh, with my community, and uh, it was a really really fun. And having the same kind of like, I don't want to do any of these choices. All of them are something I don't want to do, but I have to pick one. And then also sometimes missing an option or doing it wrong, and it's like I didn't intend to do this, and something bad happens because of that. And doing <laughs> that with your community is really fun. And sounds like Norco would be also really great to do with Chatter. But like it critically, this game is doing extremely well. Um, as far as playing it with chat goes, like chat enjoyed it. Um, it was it's kind of funny because there was several points where like I'd go through like this huge dialogue sequence with like four characters and just talking back and forth and discussing things and uh, finish this all. And it's been an hour and I look over at chat and nobody said anything in thirty minutes. I'm like, chat, you guys alive? And then like twenty people are like that was awesome. Keep reading. <laughs> it's like it, it kind of turns into a library at times. But the the people that watched me play it seemed to really enjoy it. So that's awesome. Um, critically, this game's getting like really, really good reviews. It's recommended by Eurogamer, PC Gamer gave it a ninety-four out of a hundred. Um, and it's it's either getting like ten out of tens or like one rating below whatever ten out of tens people give. Um, but it's it's just it hasn't gotten a huge audience reception like I, I don't see a lot of word of mouth about this thing it kind of reminds me of when hollow knight came out and got like 10 out of 10s from every like review outlet that reviewed it and then nobody talked about it for like a month and i'm wondering if this will bubble up but i'm, I'm thinking that because it is an adventure game like it, it's a it's a point and click right like you're you're gonna be clicking on objects in the environment and getting contextual text there are some mini games uh there's like a there's a combat mini game oh this is something that's also in the demo so i can talk about it there is a um a monkey character that you can get in the game it is a uh, your, your childhood stuffed monkey from your bedroom and um it's it actually joins your party it's a party member you drape it over your shoulder and you take it with you you can have staring contests with the monkey and in order to get the monkey in your party you have to have a staring contest with it and win the staring contest which is a combat mini game and then you can use the monkey as part of other combat sequences later in the game uh because you hold it up in front of you and they have to have a staring contest with the monkey um like it it's got stuff like that in it and there is there is missable things so you have to be pretty diligent about playing through this look at everything click on everything but it's it is cool it's really 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 cool i'm definitely gonna have to check this out i've got the i've got the demo downloaded and i'll probably be playing it today or tomorrow and i'll let it's you also, know it's also on game pass if you happen to have game pass oh well now i'm just gonna have to go and download it twice <laughs> So, I mean, that's where I played it. Um, and I will say this, uh, once I have some money to burn, which I don't currently, I will buy this game because I feel kind of bad playing it on Game Pass and like looking at Steam and going, oh man, this thing's got less than 200 reviews on Steam. I want to buy it so I can review it on Steam. It's also up on Itch. <laughs> um, so it's available in, in places where you purchase video games. Um, I also want to buy the soundtrack and I hope they put it on vinyl because <laughs> I just, I really like Thou. Thou is so good, so... Get need to get on them with Fan Gamer. I think Fan Gamer is the one that always. Oh, not Fan Gamer! Put... Not Fan Gamer! No. The reason I no. say not Fan Gamer is because they are uh, they. Um, Fan Gamer and I am Eight Bit are just across the border from me, more or less. Like one's in California, the other's in Seattle. I think home based, um, but they both charge exorbitant amounts for their shipping to ship to Canada. So if it's Fan Gamer, I 
have to just kind of like be sad because I'd have to spend about $80 to ship one record up to Canada. If I want to buy six uh-huh. records from them, that's fine. But I never buy that many at a time. So it's like their, their shipping costs are ridiculous. See, I'm just in New Zealand, so I'm used to everything shipping being ridiculous. For for an ex- for comparison, shipping a single double vinyl record, so like two two discs in a in a case, so a heavier record uh, from Germany costs about twelve dollars. Shipping the same record from Seattle up to Canada, right across the border, like a four hour drive, about eighty eighty five. That seems a little bit broken. Yeah. Well, I it, it was fine right up until um <clears throat> not the most recent president, but the one previously got elected. Ah, uh, right. And since then it's like, well, I guess I can't order consumer products from the states ever unless it's like subsidized, basically. So is what it is, but I I mean that's just a me Canada specific. If if Fangamer did do a pressing, odds are pretty good that one of the other uh, labels that puts out soundtracks would pick it up and then they'd sell it locally from there and then so like it would get shipped off to Germany and then I'd buy it from Germany or whatever but like it's it, it, it is what it is um, I, I just I, I hope they, they, they do some of that because I would buy it immediately but, yeah uh, yeah that, that's Narco and that, that's another one that I'd, I'd love to talk spoilers with with people if uh, somebody wants to do a spoiler cast with me on that one uh, call me <laughs> <laughs> Cause like you, you could you could do it in a stream if you started with that and just powered through. You could do it in a in a stream. There is a it is dense, but you could do it. Um, there is no voice acting. I should point that out, but it is. It's got like um kind of that voice warbles, um, which are pretty fun. So yeah, <laughs> that's uh <laughs> that is Norco. I would say. So I'm, I'm going to take us to a real quick break here because we went long on two of those, which is fine. I, I think those were some lovely discussions about the games that we've been playing. Uh, I'm going to take us to a real quick break. When we come back, we're going to talk about news and uh, jump up and down and cheer for the death of NFTs. I mean, the death of some NFTs anyway. Um, we'll be back in a, right after this. Do you like indie games? And what about strategy? Are you tired of screen shake and motion blur? Stop by my streams on Twitch to discover new games and experience wholesome community interaction in a simulation sickness-friendly environment. You can find me on twitch.tv slash 2 I'll see you there. <clears throat> All right, everybody, and welcome back to this here Halcyon Frequency podcast for April 10th, 2022. I hope you enjoyed that quick break. I'm joined by Bellinaire and Arch Plays stuff, and I'm still blind. And I'm still hosting, and apparently now is the best time to get hiccups. So, um, Arch, do you want to <laughs> take this first article we have here on this list? Yeah, sure thing. So, um, Ubisoft has just announced that they are no longer updating Ghost Recon Breakpoint, which was a uh, rather mediocre game that got quite controversial when they announced the uh, the NFTs that you could earn in-game. Mm-hmm. Um, they managed to sell a whopping... 100 of them i yeah, believe at laughably um, small amounts like it, it cost them more in gas fees to mint all of their nfts than they made off of the nfts yeah but you know part of the discussion i've been reading is maybe that was part of the point you know um more about the discussion than than the uh 
the NFTs themselves. But yeah, so with um with the uh it's it's not being sunsetted, it's uh entering entering maintenance mode, which is an industry term for the servers are still online. We're just no longer going to be providing updates. Bug fixes and critical broken things may get done, but it's mostly keeping the engine running for however long. And um, yeah, so there's a lot of discussion about, you know, whether this, how this went with NFTs, whether this is was a trial or something or or what indeed happens with the NFTs now that the game is like this. Um, so the, 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 okay. So there, there's a few weird things about ghost recon breakpoint. Like you said, it was kind of a middling response. I mean, this, it was kind of a follow-up to ghost recon wildlands, which was quite well received. If I remember correctly, like just as a big open world co-op game, um, kind of had, a, I don't know if this was intended or not, but kind of drew the similar audience as like a just cause. Cause it was just kind of goofy, like the stuff that you could do with vehicles in that game. But Breakpoint, when it released, um, had a lot of mechanical changes and a lot of Ubisoft style bugs and issues and problems due to underbaking and uh, overworking of employees. Um, and so it released to kind of middling success, never released on Steam, was um, a Uplay exclusive, which like also didn't help, I guess. I think it was, I think it's also on, um, it, it's on the Epic Game Store as well. Um, and it was all, it was very much like probably, very much not well received when it when it came out at least by the wider public but it, it had its audience and people played it the the way the nfts actually work in this game which uh is attached to their own um uh closed house network called quartz uh which you sign up for th with your ubisoft account and that's basically your wallet for these things the the way that it actually works in this game specifically is it's attached to levels so if you like when you're playing Counter-Strike Go, right? You 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 can get a skin for your gun and you just put it on your gun and you play, right? In this, you can get a skin for your gun, but you can only use that skin if you're level 40. Um which is not a very good way of incentivizing people to purchase them in the first place. So it was kind of counterintuitive. Um and so the result was a lot of the uh, stuff that was purchased was purchased by people that were playing single player offline by themselves a whole lot. And uh, there was an article that was posted on Waypoint by one Patrick Klepek, um, uh, which is Vice Games. Uh, uh, we're interviewing some of these um, individuals about uh, why they'd purchased them. Some of them didn't even realize they were NFTs um, because they are rather indistinguishable from normal in-game items, aside from that they have a number attached to them, basically stating that they are limited, which, you know, you could totally do with digital items anyways. And I... Like, like you said, the game isn't being sunsetted. It, like, the servers are staying online. I, if, I would assume if they take the servers offline, you'd still be able to play single player. I don't think it's entirely online only, but, but what do I know? I've, I haven't actually played the game. Um, the, 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 the result of this is just kind of interesting because it's like, well, the game's no longer getting updates, which means there's going to be almost no real reason for people to start playing the game now, especially if there's a follow-up in the future, which probably will have these same mechanics in it anyway. It, 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 like you said, it, be it begs the question, what is the purpose of any of this, if anything? Uh, I mean, it just drove your review score down a little more, made you no money, cost you a lot of money, and the people playing the game didn't seem to care. It does sound like that they kind of knew that the, it wasn't doing super well anyways, 
So they decided to pick this game as a kind of their test bed for the NFTs and see how they do. And they kind of expected them to do a lot better than they did eventually. Yeah, that's 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 the question that you really sort of start to think about. And you will never know. Did they go, well, this game's middling to struggling. Let's throw out NFTs and sort of test the waters and get our own experience from it. Or did they go... Let's throw out and see if NFTs is enough to hook people because we we all know anyone who spends time on Twitter, the uh, crypto bros that are around are, um, you know, very, very hungry sharks for anything that looks like NFTs becoming mainstream. So it may have been just testing NFTs or even an attempt to see, hey, can we get the NFT market in? Because... um. Ubisoft themselves have said, it's it's in this article here, um, in an interview, gamers don't get how they can benefit from NFTs. And first of all, <clears throat> second of all, um, it shows the distinct divide between the gaming community and the NFT community. They're not one and the same necessarily. And that's where, you know... Um, these games are trying to appeal to both, but basically turn off each other, you know? I've got a kind of a, a, a slightly different opinion on this. I, I think what Ubisoft is trying to do with this is they're trying to input it into a game late in that game's life cycle so that it's not a big deal when it's still included in their next one. That yeah. was my opinion of this. The second they put this out, I was like, oh, they're just trying to normalize it so that when the next game comes out, people don't blink. Because it caused, you know, there was a kerfuffle on Twitter when this was announced. Like, there was art, there was articles linked on Reddit. I was There was discussion on various forums and discords and places. Like, everybody was talking about this. Oh, my God. Oh, like they, there's they, Ubisoft is putting NFTs in their video games. It's a game nobody cares about. It's a game that had bad review scores anyways. It's a game that was already kind of a smear on like their like last two decades of work. So when it's just included in the next one, it it's it's normalized. And that's my big fear is that they're shutting this like well, they're not sunsetting it, but like they're ceasing development of this game to move on to whatever's next and then whatever's next has a more egregious version of this included. Because I'm- like, I I've seen some people pose the argument that, oh, NFTs in video games is a way of removing other forms of um, microtransactions in games. It's like, absolutely not. Like, you'll, they will continue to charge you for Uplay Plus. They will continue to charge you for your traditional microtransactions and boosts and whatnot. They will continue to charge you for skins. And they will also have limited releases of these things. Yep. You know, like, we, I think we've learned that the the goal is to just see how how much the communities will tolerate and just sit below that level, you know? Yeah. In, they're, in order they're not saying... Go on. Uh, they're not saying that, oh, we're not going to use it at all. They're like, okay, people get annoyed when it's this heavy, so let's just make it a little bit less heavy. Yeah. And you'll see that throughout the entire... just everything, you know? That's that's basically the way it goes. I remember when microtransactions were barely a thing in games. And it made everybody mad every time it happened. But the the, the, the next article we have on here is a pretty good segue for this because it's like when you are st- launching an NFT project or an NFT game, you need an audience that is not 
the most video game savvy and an audience that has a lot of money. Um, and so I'm, we're going to talk about the official Formula One NFT game um, that is officially shutting down. Um, now, hold your horses. If you own a very expensive uh, vehicle or uh, token for uh, Formula One Delta Time, don't worry, never fear. Uh, the developer of Formula One Delta Time, who was unable to get the license for a second year in a row, um, have said that they will be uh, migrating those tokens uh, over to their new unbranded racing um, token-based NFT game thing. So if you have a Formula One token, you will get uh, an equal token for their next project. So never fear. Uh, nobody will care about them either, but it's fine. Um, this this game made waves when it launched um, in 20, uh, because, uh, it has the example of the most expensive, uh, NFT sold in a video game of just over a hundred thousand dollars. Um, and all of the tokens for this game now are, um, quite literally worthless. There's actually a, if you look at the article on Kotaku that I linked, or I'm linking in the show notes and I linked in the discord here and it's in our document as well. There's actually this lovely graph of how expensive these tokens are initially. And then the spikes as updates come out and then just, it just flat lines. Um, and they are like, it is, it is hard for me to, talk about this in anything other than abject absolute negativity because for me this is well no, number one the game itself f1 delta time if you go look it up it's not good looking it is extraordinarily ugly it is a very simplistic top-down racing game that runs in a browser and is um almost upsetting to look at it is so ugly it looks like an early iphone game or like an early ipod touch game um and knowing the amount of money that's moved through this thing and the number of projects that it inspired is upsetting to me i i did a little bit of research looking into this and there's a video that's linked on this article of some gameplay of it and the f maker of this video who's talking about all of this all the game and all of like the the cost of everything and whatnot in the comments section is talking about how he didn't play this game because he was interested in the game or even formula one he was interested in the money and i think that that and then went on to make his own uh nft project game based on horse racing from the looks of things which apparently is doing quite well but like i look at this and i go I like video games because it's accessible long-form entertainment that everybody can enjoy this is an example of a massive thing that made waves that is shutting down and worthless now. But all that these games do is gentrify an industry that was previously or is still currently extremely successful to everybody at all levels of life. If you own a cell phone, if you own an old computer, if you own a gaming console from half a decade ago, you're in the hobby with everybody else and can play massive back catalogs of games and if the industry moves in this direction it's going to just it's going to be just like the uh egregious price gouging and um deluxe editions and portioning out of triple a games but accelerated to the absolute rock bottom of uh, 
gentrification of playability of video games, and I think it's absolutely disgusting. I think I think we're just lucky at this point in time that good game a good game and NFTs have remained two separate circles because I think once you wind up with a good game that has people really enjoying it and NFTs, you will start seeing people become a little bit more accustomed to it. Mm-hmm. Right now, the quality of the game does a huge part in keeping people away from getting into NFTs. I am concerned about when that will change. There was a interview done with a developer for a game that got that had a Steam page that was removed when Steam did the whole uh, we don't want NFTs on our platform thing. Um, yep. And the interview basically was, I I, I don't want to actually shout out what this game was, but uh, let, I'll, I'll just I'll just say this: the the quote in broad strokes was essentially, "We don't have a game yet. We have a marketplace and a storefront because that's what the community wants. We're not trying to attract traditional gamers. We're trying to convert crypto enthusiasts into gamers." Yep, that's exactly. They're trying like to build a new industry earlier. around it out of a a very small group of people in the grants. They're trying to build a micro industry out of a group of people. That's what 500,000 people, which are super active in the crypt, like the NFT space. And then another 500,000 that are passively interested in the crypto NFT space. It's like maybe a million people you got. Like that's, it's not a lot of people. Well, the only thing I'll really say about uh, NFTs at the end is one of my favorite Chrome, um, uh yeah my favorite chrome uh extensions is it changes the word nft to silly jpeg <laughs> what about the uh the, the 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 tweet deck extension that just automatically blocks everybody with an nft icon yeah exactly <laughs> i i would love to make a display picture mocking those, but I'd get blocked by people like the hexagon display picture. Well, just mean you, your you, own you, NFT. <laughs> do you, you know, my, my, my self portrait yeah. emote that I've done. If I didn't hate NFT so much, I would mint that just as a statement of this is still better than your monkey art. You know, some of those people are in Vancouver, my city, right? <laughs> I, I know, <laughs> I know what coffee shop they hang out in. But anyway, that's that's a that's a, another story for a different podcast, probably. Yeah. So, uh, yay! F one Delta time is gone. Nobody cares. <laughs> Nobody should. <laughs> uh, so, Activision Blizzard, uh, midway through last month, announced that. Uh, they would be lifting mandatory vaccination mandates for all employees that are working in the office. Um, well, for all of Activision Blizzard. This caused uh, several studios to walk out. Um, this caused Blizzard, a large number of employees from Blizzard, uh, to walk out. Uh, as well as uh, some people over at Raven who are unionizing and uh, various other studios issued complaints. Uh, Activision Blizzard as a uh, corporation has since changed that policy from uh, 
none of their studios require proof of vaccinations to. Studios can decide whether or not they want to require proof of vaccination, uh, which Blizzard has reinstated. Um, so I just, you know, at, at the end of the day, get vaccinated if you want and don't if you don't. But if the majority of people in a workplace are uncomfortable being around people that aren't vaccinated, I think it's still a, a company as it should be the company's um, right to in reinstate that mandate independently if they choose. Um, I think Blizzard did the right thing there. Yeah, no, I absolutely agree. I think that, you know, it's it's the same as requiring pants in a workplace, so to say. Public health is a shared, like the public is a shared space. Any shared space requires people to meet certain certain things in order to look after the health of others. Hello, Blind here with a little update. So one of the articles that we talk about in the news segment is related to uh, uh, Activision Blizzard QA and um, them getting uh, being taken on full-time as well as given raises. But I do have an update from the Bloomberg story that we covered in the, in the, in the upcoming thing that you're about to hear. So I'm just going to read that out real quick, which is update as of 3.12 p.m. on the 9th, uh, which is when I'm editing this right now. And uh, they say, after publication Bloomberg has reported that Raven Software QA workers will receive will not receive the same uh, raises. Uh, Activision Blizzard confirmed that in this in this statement in, emailed to Polygon, due to our legal obligations under national law. Labor Restrictions Act. We cannot institute new pay incentives at Raven at this time because uh, they would be new under new kinds of compensation changes. The Activision Blizzard uh, spokesperson said that the QA uh, conversion does not have any relation to the petition pending at Raven Software Studio related to Raven Software unionizing uh, and Raven situation. Uh, the, the Raven situation is limited to Raven. So specifically, Raven Software will not be receiving the same uh, raises as the other 1,100 uh, QA workers uh, within Activision Blizzard that are uh, receiving raises. With this little update aside, continue with the podcast. I, maybe this is just the beginning of them going, oh, maybe we actually have a higher budget for people now that uh, Microsoft is trying to take over, um, which still hasn't happened yet. People shouldn't talk about it like it's done because that's still in the works, but that buyout is happening. Um, that's that's the thing that kind of has me thinking, hmm, it's very easy to look at this and go, oh, well, you know, this is a clear sign that Microsoft is is leveraging everything to try and, you know, improve things because they have spoken about wanting to improve it. And, and Phil Spencer is like an absolute advocate for it all. But we also know that it's not set in stone. And this seems like an incredibly, like a lot of work and very big steps for something that's not currently set in stone. So I kind of wonder, you know, whether or not it's that or Ubisoft realizing just how uh sorry blizzard um blizzard realizing just how much negative pr is in the world about them right now like there's literally nothing positive about them and realizing that they need to change that and even if that means spending some serious coin because i it, it, it's one of those things like you know they they cite costs and all of that but suddenly they can take all these um, QA testers on full-time, they can handle pay increases, and you're, you're like, well, where was the money for this, 
you know, before when you said it wasn't it wasn't available. Yeah. I'm just I'm going to read a short bit of this Engadget article on the subject, which is Activision Blizzard is converting all of its temporary contract quality assurance workers in the U.S. to full-time employees starting July 1st. Many of the 1,100 workers will receive a pay increase. Minimum hourly rate is going up to $20 per hour as of April 17th as permanent employees, and the the workers will receive benefits and can, and can participate in a bonus plan. So... To me, that that just seems like a net positive for everybody working in QA for Activision yeah. as a whole. I I just would advise that they QA check that contract because I'm getting major Simpsons so long dental plan um, <laughs> vibes from it. You know. Well, I, I'm yeah. It's also interesting to see that it's uh, U.S. Uh, workers, but uh, I would imagine they have quite a lot of uh, non-U.S. Uh, quality assurance for people as well being such a massive corporation mm-hmm. they're, pr- they... they're probably already required to be full-time by the more um employee friendly laws around the world um i will link you a video after this about uh, qa workers in the philippines but that's again a subject <laughs> for a, I, uh, a I, another I, day i did speak this yeah, and i know in europe as well a uh, lot of the other companies are not treating their qa very well even we if we have a better like uh, employee laws and everything the qa usually still is at the bottom wrong people i just remember our qa always feeling incredibly um incredibly stressed out and underappreciated because in her own words all the bugs aren't fixed yeah you know <laughs> so what can we do to help you fix all the bugs not just some of them all of them <laughs> so now you know, did, did you want to say something Bill? or okay i'm just gonna move us on to the next one <laughs> yeah so sure. looking at this uh i know that, that was a lot of kind of like downer nft talk and then um kind of some hard to listen to blizzard related things um but uh, we got a fun one so bafta happened uh british video game awards um and we have our 2022 wieners so um People can jump up and down and scream, I'm a gonna ween. And I think we're just gonna maybe read through these, just kind of take turns grabbing the the, the winners, which are kind of toward, towards the bottom of the article. I'll, I'll link the whole article yep. if you wanna read it yourselves at home. But um, uh, I'm just gonna take the first one, and then Archie can take the next one, and Belle can go after that. I no, no, I want the you, first oh, one. Oh, yeah, right. That makes sense. Belle, you take the first one. Go. <laughs> so the, the best game uh, of uh, BAFTA Games Awards 2022 was a Returnal by Housemarque. So yay, Finland. <laughs> I want to play this game so bad. It looks so good. It looks really good. It does. Uh, I've been kind of thinking as well. It's like, I should try it. Now, if it's winning BAFTA awards and it's Finnish, I kind of have to. Like, it's it's in, in my blood. I'm do, you, do you think if you, like, obliged. call your friends next door at Housemarque, they'll, they'll, like, uh, they'll send you a PlayStation 5? <laughs> <laughs> well, they're, they're a little far away. They're in Helsinki, I think. So it's like a seven hundred kilometers. That's but that, that's far. that's neighboring Finland, it's a basically. Quick drive, come on. But like, uh. you can you can be there before the sun goes down. <laughs> <laughs> Technically, yes. I mean, I could fly there in a, in an hour. <laughs> oh boy, yeah. No, that's I'm, I'm happy for for them because like that that's the studio I was worried about. Like I, I was actually playing Next Machina the other night which is a previous title that they put out a number of years ago uh, because it was included in the um, Humble Bundle for Ukraine. And I was playing through that. I was like, man, they make good stuff. Like, 
It's it's just kind of I'm 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 sad that it's only a it's a PlayStation Five exclusive, but like I I get it, you know, I get it. I'll take. Yeah, yeah I would imagine it comes uh, at some point uh, for other platforms. One well, day I will get a PlayStation winning and everything. Yeah, I'll I'll get a PlayStation Five to you five used in like four or five years, or it maybe it'll come to PC one day, and if it does, I'll play it then right away. I mean, this kind yeah, watch, watch a gameplay of it. It just kind of looks like a really pretty slower paced very expensive risk of rain 2 which you know what i'm all in I'm, I'll, I'll, I'll play that sounds great <laughs> yeah i love all the everything sci-fi i'll play it uh, for sure yeah uh best british game is forza horizon 5 <laughs> yeah that surprised me i i thought the british it's not, made it's not the games. bad game like i really enjoyed forza horizon 5 uh, but i'm not sure if it's the best uh, british game but i don't no. know what else came came out uh well best british game is forza horizon 4 because it's in britain this is in mexico <laughs> come on well i will say i will say um forza is the first time i've been really into a driving game in a while um, mostly because i don't like the realistic super like gran turismo hardcore ones I like the more arcade style. Yeah. Um, so I really enjoyed it, but it didn't strike me as like best British game. There's, you know, quite a, quite a fair few British companies that are producing games. And I'm really surprised that it went to, um, Forza, you know, yeah. cause it doesn't appear anywhere else. And you usually find like, we look at Returnal we'll be hearing their name several times throughout this. Um, and just, yeah, it's, it's incredibly strange to me that, um, it wins best British game when it didn't win in any other category. The thing about Forza Horizon is Forza Horizon is the best Forza Horizon can be. And I don't think there's really been a bad one. Like, yeah, they are consistently extremely high quality, fun racing games um and i always sit down and whenever one comes out if i end up with it i will play it for about 20 hours get bored and then be like yep i'll wait for the next one and that's kind of where i'm at with this one like i, I played it for good 20 30 hours i finished most of yeah. most of the main areas just off stream in the evenings just plucking away listening to a podcast but um I mean, it's beautiful to look at. It's the cars are really nice. I I kind of wish there was less cars in it because I kind of get like the overwhelming sense of like, there's so much here. Um, and also, wh why is this car like dramatically faster than that car when they're at the same speed in real life? Oh, it's because they have more sponsor money. I get it. But like, th th there's definitely some weirdness for it. Like as somebody who knows a little bit about cars, but it's just, mm. it is just, it's just a great game. <laughs> Look, my favorite thing is every that. time you got a new car, you could go to the uh, the online workshop and find your anime version of the car, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, that, that's, that's basically what I did. <laughs> Dude, Bellinair, do you want to take this next one? Yeah, sure. So the performer in a leading role is uh, Jane Perry as uh, Celine Vassas from the Returnal, which of course doesn't mean my, anything to us if you haven't played the game. What's the character you play as, I think? leading role so leading, leading role makes sense um yeah because like the story in that game is done through flashbacks in between runs and when you enter new zones if i'm not mistaken but um performer in a supporting role uh kimberly brooks as holius forsyth in psychonauts 2 did any of us play psychonauts 
I've not. I've, I've been meaning not. to, and people yell at me to play it uh, all the time. I, but I don't know. I have not yet. Yeah, neither have I. Um, Arch, do you yeah, want to take Didn't the come out uh, like a, a while ago already? Um, yes, but BAFTA's like year-end thing is different than most things. So like they kind of count the end of like the year before. Like they, they kind of have some overflow on there. Yeah. They're a little bit more lenient on that. Um, Arch, do yeah. um, I mean... So, unpacking there. Can I can I talk about that one? Yeah. Um, unpacking won EE Game of the Year, which is the publicly voted one, and um, well deserved. I think unpacking has won quite a few awards, and it really, really is just an absolute great game. I've actually been doing it in real life um, <laughs> as I slowly settle into my room. And it's actually had me thinking about the game more as I unpack my own things. It's it's one of those games that really sticks with you. So, um, yeah, if I can also steal the next one. They also won Best Narrative, which I think is yeah. pretty awesome given it's a game that you just unpack items. I think that we all played Unpacking, yeah? Yeah, we did a yeah. stream. And it was, it was fantastically fun and playing with... Uh, chat and like talk about like why is this item here and what happened in this part of the life just based on the items you pull out of, out of a boxer yeah no fan- fantastic like that also just like an achievement of sound design and a lot of other things because like every single individual item placed on every single individual uh possible place you can place it has a different sound effect <laughs> it's like yeah there's just so imagine many, the like, poor foley guy <laughs> so many like tiny little details for like a pretty small game but man Wonderful. Yeah. Um, I'm going to take this next one, which is uh, 2022's Best Evolving Game, which is a funny name for that category, is uh, the the sky that belongs to No Man, No Man's Sky. I just, I, I again could talk about No Man's Sky for hours about how tragic the launch was and how much it's it's come since then and... You know, it's it's almost in the uh, category of like Final Fantasy fourteen. Um, I think Bellinair probably could too. Yeah, um, <laughs> yeah. I, I guess I on, I on the other hand would could uh, go like against that opinion. We could yell at each other for a for a podcast about this. Sky. <laughs> well, I, I just I, I'm, I'm not a huge fan of, whenever I of see the changes and everything. Bellinair, you just look mad, but also like in awe. <laughs> like it's like the most. Mixed it, it is kind of that like love hate relation with that game. Like I I love the game. But I also don't like how they do things and how they add things and how everything is so like disjointed. Like there's lots of nice Lego bricks, but they are all mismatched and don't really go together. It's it's still a fantastic achievement of um, community goodwill. I will say, regardless of like the, the that, opinions of the actual game itself. No Man's Sky could have been dead in the water, and no would have no one would have been surprised. Yeah. You know, no, no it, one would have expected uh, Hello Games to put in the work it did. Everyone would have been like, oh, yeah, it's just another case of an overpromised, overhyped game. The fact that it's winning awards now for a best evolved game is just that alone, you know, is, is really great in my eyes. Open up Steam and type in the game name Left Alive. That is a game I was excited for and um, was smart and didn't pre order. It wasn't left alive. No, yeah, <laughs> definitely. Wasn't. Wow, and mostly I don't think it's ever negative. Been on sale. I don't think it's twenty six. 
26% positive. Yes. <laughs> yeah, that is quite rough. <laughs> That's what I was expecting No Man's Sky to turn into, and it didn't. So I'm proud of them. Left um, Alive is better left alone. Yes. I, I will take these next two, um, which yep. are uh, It Takes Two wins uh, Best Original Property and Best Multiplayer. I don't... I haven't played it, uh, but I've heard a lot of really good things. Uh, and another uh, um, wife has a, a proper laptop to play games on. We've been meaning to play this for a, a while. I keep on asking people if they want to get married and then divorced and then torture a stuffed animal in front of my child. And people just look at me like I'm crazy. And so it's never happened. But I do want to play this someday, too. That might happen live on my stream. <laughs> Excellent. Looking forward to it. There's like... I, I've seen quite a bit of footage of this game, but there's parts of it that look awesome. And there's parts of it that look like terribly written but I I could see how this could win best property it's, it's certainly been incredibly um, successful on the awards the, the awards the, circuit the, the, the award that it got that I thought was weird was the game awards gave it best family game this is not a family game like, this is not something you want to play with your little kids <laughs> um, but like if if you're an adult with kind of an adult sense of humor, I I could definitely see that game being a blast. <laughs> um, Bellinger, do you want to take this next one? Sure. Um, I don't actually know anything about this game. I was just googling it. Uh, so the a debut gamer for 2022 is uh, Toyma. Yeah, uh, th this is a game that I've I I saw when it popped up and I wanted and I thought about playing it, which is interesting because it's like. Kind of similar to uh, an, another game that's later on the list here, but Toem's it's like a um, it, it's like a little diorama, and you walk around the little diorama and you take pictures of things, and people tell you to take pictures of things. I like phot photography games. I'm, I'm a big fan of photography games. One of my favorite games ever is Umarangi Generation, which is a photography game. Um, but it's tiny little black and white environments, and you're told to go take a picture of a thing, and that's the game. Um, but it, it does a lot of environmental storytelling. It's very cutesy. I mean, I'm looking at it on Steam. It's 15 bucks currently on sale, and it's got overwhelmingly positive It looks incredibly reviews. pretty. So, yeah. Very nice style, very nice look, very nice thing. T-O-E-M, Toem. Uh, Arch, do you want to take this next one? All right. Um, Game Beyond Entertainment, Before Your Eyes. I'm not actually familiar with this game. It sounds like it's um, something that comes with like an ARG or something. I might actually buy it right now. So I'm familiar with this one. This is one that I was waiting to pop up on sale. Um, and Before Your Eyes is a narrative adventure. So it's like a dialogue-heavy narrative adventure with voice acting and all that. Um, where you are playing a character who's dead. And... In this world, when when one, once you are uh, passed away, uh, your life flashes before your eyes. That's the whole pitch of the game. And so the game needs permission to use your webcam, which makes me worried that it might break OBS, but that's a different problem. Uh, it needs permission to use your webcam. And if you, uh, there's a point in every sequence where if you blink, it ends. Oh, what? Yes. So that is before your eyes. Um, <laughs> it is a very interesting little experimental game, which actually seems to have become very, very successful. But it came out in like April 2021, um, and uh, it's got like uh, like six, seven thousand reviews now. Like it's it's it did yeah, very well. Crazy positive reviews. Yeah. 
like you rarely see that many positive reviews on any yeah. game. So you can uh, play it without a webcam, but the optimal way to play it is with the webcam. So like there will be a point where like somebody is talking and it gets very emotional and like you're sitting there and you're tearing up and then this icon appears in the bottom and you're like, oh no, I can't blink. And then you'll inevitably blink because it's a human reaction and then it ends <laughs> and you move on. Um, The next game on the list is one that I want to talk about because that's Chicory, A Colorful Tale. Take it away! It won uh, Best Family Game. Um, it's an absolutely amazing game. Um, very vibrant in colors and, you know, um, you get to, to do a lot of drawing. It's very uh, art stylish. And yeah, I absolutely loved it when I played it. And now that it's won this, I want to go back and play it again. I haven't played this game, but I've listened to the soundtrack in its entirety maybe a dozen times. Soundtrack is uh, by Lena Rain, a composer of Celeste, um, the underworld levels in Minecraft, and a bunch of other games. Wow, okay. So, so yeah, definitely very good. And, yeah, um, big congrats to them for winning as well. They were a finalist in um, Independent Games Festival and the Game Awards. So, yeah, winning this one must must be amazing for them after being finalists a few times. I just, I want to shout out the publisher Finji right now because like they're on fire with their last two releases. Like they kind of had some, they, they had a miss I think for me with Overland, but um, like between Chicheria, Colorful Tale and now Tunic, like hats off. They're, they're yeah, that's putting a, out some good stuff. That's another one that uh, I need to try at some point. Uh. Yeah, that's, that's a maybe for me, but a maybe that I maybe be interested in. As a side note, uh, the Chikari has an amazing uh, last picture on the Steam page. I need to go look at this. What is this? <laughs> <laughs> yep. Yep. <laughs> yep. That's a butt. All right. Um, next one is best animation goes to Ratchet and Clank, A Rift Apart. I mean, the thing looks like a Pixar movie, so that doesn't surprise me. Yeah, no, no. That's, that's always going to be a budget. A uh, big budget one, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Um, it's also one of the only games with actually really good uh, Finnish voice acting. Like usually, any kind of Finnish, uh, either dialogue or anything, uh, is mm. like Google Translate level and horribly done. And this one apparently is like one of the only ones with like amazing Finnish voice acting. Huh? You should play that in Finnish. Like <laughs> if you get is that a when, console when, exclusive yes. though? When, when you get that PlayStation Five to play Returnal. Um, yeah, from the house marquee, yeah. please send one. From house marquee, um, then then you can sit down and you can get yourself a copy of that and play through it and finish, and, and nobody will know what's going on and it'll be fine. You should finish the game. Oh no! <laughs> All right. Um, also, on the same note, there is actually another award for them as well. Little down the technical achievement. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they, we could just do them two at once. And technical achievement because, like, I, I think that's like like particle effects and visual fidelity, right? Yeah, I mean, yeah. it looks amazing, it's, so it's very understandable. Um, artistic, or no, actually, I missed one. Uh, game design, best game design, uh, is Inscription. Another game on my long list of things I need to play. I've had this on my Steam library for for ages, and people tell me to play it. Uh, it's amazing. I mean, I have a solution. Still haven't gotten around. Stop playing Rune Factory. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, in general, stop playing games that take about 150 hours to <laughs> play through. So you could actually play these uh, amazing small indie games, uh, like 
50 of them in a, in a week. Yeah. But um, in Inscription, like I, I, I've, I've watched enough of that that game to know that I wouldn't want to play it. But I've, I, I completely, uh, yes, best game design, <laughs> absolutely. Yeah. Um, uh, I feel artistic like achievement. You, you take this one. Yeah, the art, the artful escape, and and so I've had my head buried in the games that I've been playing, like you know Stardew Valley and and such. So I've not actually. Uh, looked up the Artful Escape, but do you want me to pitch the Artful Escape? Because I played it. Oh, this is the the game you played. Uh, yeah, that looked amazing. Yeah, yeah, I, th- I think I think that is a good opportunity for you to pitch the game. So the Artful Escape, um, I have mixed feelings on. There is one half of it that I adore, and one half of it that I kind of hate. I really, really, really like the visuals. I really, really, really like the music, and I really, really, really like the story. The part where you have to play it's a little unfortunate <laughs> because it doesn't <laughs> run super well. And when I say it doesn't run super well, like it doesn't run well on any computer. It doesn't matter how much horsepower you have. And the parts that don't run well don't look great. Um, like there's one whole level that ran at about 10 frames a second on my computer. And the the game itself is a very light platformer. And I all like there's almost no challenge to it. Um, there are some like rhythm game segments to it that are a little bit more challenging, but even those aren't particularly challenging. It's like not a game with failure, really. It's a game about the story. So the Artful Escape is a, um, uh, a psychedelic metal adventure, uh, where you are a, um, like kind of Johnny Cash style, small town musician, uh, fault trying to be like your father who was a very similar kind of figure and you're about to go to your debut show and you get abducted by aliens because they think that you are going to take them on an intergalactic uh, cyber music uh, spatial metal journey through the cosmos um and uh so you do it you go to planets and you play metal and you shred there is a shred <laughs> button the game has a dedicated metal button um nice. and you you run through alien landscapes and you jump over massive chasms shredding on your guitar and ground slamming onto the ground and big things explode in the background it's gorgeous to look at the voice acting is wonderful and every voice actor in the game is some movie person that you've heard of because it's published by Annapurna as well. Um, and the only record pressing they did of the soundtrack is exclusive to Kickstarter backers. So I'm never going to get it, but um, it, it is, it is neat. Uh, it's just kind of a pain to play <laughs> in places, but it's fun. It's, it's worth seeing. If you, if you, if you enjoy uh space epic metal, it, it's worth playing. Yeah. yeah. A little what I saw you played on stream and did see me. Pretty fun, at least from like a viewing experience, maybe not from the playing experience. There, there is also a sequence in that game where you are going through a snowy planet area uh, outside of a intergalactic recording uh, record label thing that's run by a one-eyed slug that wants to eat you. But that's that's a different story. You, you, you then go through like what looks like Hoth, basically, and there's these giant skeletons of ancient, passed away, massive dinosaurs in the background, and you shred, and as you shred past them, they explode and lasers and light shows come out of their eyes and mouths, and it looks like my like skull emote that's exploding with a laser, which is kind of amazing. <laughs> there's like a whole level in that game that's me, and it's great. I, mixed feelings, but great game. Also on Game Pass, I think. 
Hmm. So the other the other winners are ones that we've already touched on. That's uh, technical achievement going to Ratchet and Clank Rift Apart, and Returnal picking up audio achievement and music. So yeah, uh, good night for Returnal picking up well one two three four awards there, including best game. Yeah, yeah. If you are doing like a, a horror sci-fi game and you win a two achievements for audio and music on top of being best game and then a performer in leading role. That sounds like a, such an amazing combo, just like a, uh, like a story atmospheric feel. So, but you know, that, that's a, that's quite, quite the list of, of, of games. And I, 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 I love seeing games that like maybe don't get talked about in the public as much getting like these accolades. Cause it's, it's really nice to see. It's heartwarming for me, but, uh, this has been a fantastic episode of the Halcyon frequency podcast. Uh, Arch plays stuff. Do you want to tell people who you are and where they can find your work? Yeah, sure thing. I'm Arch. I play stuff. Um, as the name, you know, as it's written on the box, uh, you can find me at Twitch or twitch.tv slash Arch stuff and on Twitter at twitter.com slash Arch stuff. And Bellinaire. Uh, yeah, you can find me on Twitch as well. Twitch.tv slash Bellinaire. And I do a lot of uh, building strategy management games. I'm currently on the Rune Factor for a boat, which might last a while. Uh, but I also need to do uh, quite a lot of other things. So. There seems to be a little lull in games currently coming out that are really interesting. So I'm probably going to look back into a bunch of uh, older titles or some that I've missed there. Like Norco and some of the other games we've least talked about uh, on this podcast. Uh, that BAFTA list is like, play this, 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 which might be happening. Uh, so, yeah, you find me there, and you find my all all other things from there as well. So, I was about yeah, to call you out on that because you're just like Lullin Games. I'm like Norco just released. What are you talking about, Lullin Games? <laughs> yeah, and, well, they released now, but like in next couple months. Like, uh, Two Point Campus was supposed to release uh, um, this month, next month, Something anyways, like and it got moved to uh, to August. Uh, yeah. So I moved it on my release list uh, because I have like a release list of games of what's interesting to me, and I moved it from a uh, like this month to August. And there was nothing in between those in my interesting games oh, list. Oh, no. <laughs> oh, I'm just, I'm just like debating whether I just become a full-time Stardew Valley streamer because I can literally, like, I've already put eight, uh, 30 hours into that stream, like that save file, and I could easily put another 60 in. So, yeah. <laughs> what do you mean? I can always branch out uh, and play like Rune Factory and uh, all the other similar yeah. games. Like, what do you, you mean? You could literally play that kind of management games uh, for a yeah, eternity. That, that's it. Like, what do you mean? There's a dearth of games. I'm still stuck in 2015. <laughs> well, I'm stuck in 2006 because you can find me over at twitch.tv slash blindirl where I play way too much Dwarf Fortress. It's actually becoming a problem. And uh, if sometimes I play other things too. Um, I stream three days a week, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursdays. And if you can't find me live, then uh, go over to my YouTube channel where VODs and other things go up. Um, and uh, you can follow me on Twitter because I actually tweet again at blindirl, blindirl. If you like this podcast and you want to support it and you want to help us out, uh, leave us a review on whatever platform you happen to be watching on or follow us on the platform that you happen to be watching on or give us a thumbs up on the platform that you happen to be listening on uh, because it all helps. It, it really does. Or leave comments on the YouTube version, which also goes up, which I probably need to like, I just realized recently I'm, I do a really bad job pointing at, but like these also do go up in full on our YouTube channel. 
um, Halcyon Frequency. Uh, so yeah, you can find all the information for the podcast and all the places where you can listen to it on halcyonfrequency.com if you would like to uh, listen to it somewhere that it's not available. Tell me and I'll make it available there. That's basically how that works. And uh, this has been a good episode of the Halcyon Frequency podcast, I think, and we will be back next Sunday. Till next week. Now's when we say goodbye. So goodbye. Bye. Bye-bye.